Just before his death, Matthew, the tax collector, sits down and writes a gospel called Matthew by, you know, makes sense. And his goal in writing this gospel is to tell a Jewish nation, um, a Jewish religion and Jewish people um, who Jesus was and hopefully to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. And in chapter two, here's what he says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back uh, to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Sadly, what most of us believe about Christmas is more myth than truth, and this is something we have got to get right, especially if we're going to follow this Jesus. We've got to get this right. Here's my perspective. For about 2,000 years, the world has been trying to substitute a rabbit for a resurrection and a Santa for a Savior, and we need to take both of those things back. As believers in Jesus, we got to forget what the world teaches us, not accept a substitution, and know the truth. Walk in the truth. Live the truth. Sadly, for many Christians, there's not room for the Christ child in Christmas. And we got to make room for Jesus at Christmas, and we got to celebrate Jesus at Christmas, and we got to worship Jesus at Christmas. That's what Christmas is about. So for the next three weeks, I'm going to show you, I hope, that there is, there is some truth to be pulled from some things given to Jesus as a two-year-old kid that we need to learn from and maybe... 
offer as gifts ourselves. We're going to look at these gifts given by the Magi. And in order to understand the gifts, we need to understand the gift givers. So if you look up on Google or if you look at any kind of Bible commentary, if you do any kind of research on what Matthew calls the Magi, you're going to get things like, well, they were wise men. Maybe they were kings. After all, that's the song we sing, We Three Kings. Maybe they were astrologers. Maybe they were sorcerers. Maybe they were Babylonians or Persians or Arabians. Some people even believe they were from India or from China. Some traditions even give them names, although there is no mention of how many were were there. Um, Some traditional Christian uh, churches give those three wise men magi names, Melchior, Casper, and Balthazar. Some people would tell you, that these men that showed up two years after the birth of Jesus with gifts were the first Gentiles to worship Jesus. I want to say to you, none of those are correct. (laughs) In fact, I want to just look at I want to look at what we do know. And, and you might not think this is important. Um, every branch of Christianity has their own tradition when we're looking at the Magi. It's important because we have to know the truth. And if Matthew is writing a, a, a gospel inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, the detail that these Magi were there is important, and we need to know why. So if we're going to understand why, we need to know who they were. So here's what we know from Scripture for sure. They were from the east of Jerusalem, which in the first century, that gives you four options. They were either Nabataeans. We've probably never heard of them. They built the city of Petra. You should look it up. It's amazing. They were camel and spice traders in the first century. It might be remnants of the old, old ancient Babylonian empire. They might be remnants of the Medo-Persian empire. And they could be Arabians. There was a connection between Jerusalem and that part of the world through King Solomon, so maybe that's the connection. We do know, according to the scripture, that they have been looking for signs. They have been looking for a king. And can I just push time out and not talk Christmas and just say to you, whatever season of life you find yourself in, whatever um, struggle of life you find yourself in, look for the king. Man, look for the king. These guys had been looking. They were looking for some sort of sign. And we know this because they were following two prophecies. Numbers chapter 24 verse 17 is an ancient prophecy. It's called the prophecy of Balaam. It says, I see him. This is Balaam talking. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter or the, the symbol of a king will emerge from Israel. They knew this scripture. And they also knew this scripture in Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. They knew these two really obscure prophecies. I mean, these are like, nobody knew these prophecies. These were really obscure So they knew him. The next thing we know is that they really did desire to worship this new king. They were not there to politically align their country with this king. This is so important. If they were there as ambassadors of their country to make an alliance with the king, they would have made that alliance with Herod. They weren't there for any political agenda. They knew this king was beyond politics, and they desired to worship this new king. And then finally from the scriptures, we know that they believed that an eternal king, 
would be born among the Jewish people. So I want to ask you, just stay right there, Dolly, on that slide. I want to ask you, um, with that list right there, who in first century Roman world, okay, go back to seventh grade history, uh, where Rome just ruled the world as we know it, all of the Mediterranean Sea and all the countries surrounding it, all the way to the Indus Valley, they ruled the world. Who in the Roman first century would have been looking to Jerusalem, to Israel, for a king? The answer is no one. (laughs) This was the most backwater. Israel, Jerusalem, Judea was the most backwater, you know, out of your way. It, It would be like, us expecting something great to come from Vaughn. Do you understand what I'm saying? No offense to anybody if you're watching us in Vaughn. It's just like nobody expects the next president of the United States to be born in Vaughn, New Mexico. And this is kind of the the sentiment in the first century. No one in the Roman world would have been expecting this great king to be born in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was just, or or in Israel, this was just the place that you passed through on your way to Egypt or on your way to Persia. Nobody cared about what was happening in Israel. So no one, none of the none of the Arabians, none of the Indian, none of the Chinese would have been looking for a, a king. Israel. And I ask you, who in the first century Roman world, which was filled with literally hundreds of gods to be worshipped? Every region had a god or gods. Every region had prophets and writings. Everyone had a god to be served. Everyone had writings that explained their god. Who in the first century Roman world would have been looking for a Jewish king? Nobody. But Matthew tells us some guys showed up and they knew these weird prophecies and they were looking for a king and they came at the right time. Who were they? Since every tradition has their own ideas, I'm going to give you mine. Here's mine. I believe with all my heart that the Magi were descendants of the Jews from the Babylonian exile. If you were here for the Rattle series, we spent six weeks talking about the Jews who got taken from their country, planted in Babylon, seven, 800 miles to the east away and had to start a new life. We know a bunch of them came back to Israel, but many of them stayed. Many of them stayed. I believe these were Jewish men, probably direct descendants of a man named Daniel. Read the book of Daniel sometime, and what you're going to discover is that the title that the foreign king in Babylon and in Persia gave Daniel and the job description that he gave to Daniel is exactly the job description and the function of a magi. In fact, some traditions tell you Daniel might have been the first magi. I believe that these men, these kings, these wise men, Matthew calls them magi, who came that night when Jesus was about two years old to worship I believe they were Yahweh worshipers. They were descendants of those who had been in in Babylon for 500 years. And for 500 years, they had been looking for signs. They knew the scriptures. They had the Old Testament memorized. And they knew that at some point, God would send a savior. And they knew where to look. They knew where to go. And when they got there, 
They brought gifts. And it's important that we understand the gifts. It's important that we understand these men. Um, because it is impossible for us as Jesus followers to understand Jesus outside of the context of the Old Testament. It is crazy to think that some foreign king or wise person who had never read the Old Testament would have been looking for Jesus, would have been looking for a king. But everyone who knew the Old Testament knew we look for a savior. We look for a savior. You cannot understand Jesus outside of the context of a Jewish world and a Jewish scripture that we call the Old Testament. And these men knew that, and they knew that they were going to see a king. And when you go to see a king, you got to bring gifts. And you know the story. They brought gold, they brought, they brought frankincense, and they brought myrrh. One thing I read last week said these were the most valuable, the most transportable, and the most marketable items in the first century world. In other words, this was like having um, Apple stock. This was like having stock in Amazon. And this was like having a 55-gallon drum of oil <laughs> that you would just take with you and you would present as a king. And I love this. These are the standard gifts. If you were going to visit a king or if you were going to worship a God, these were the standard gifts to honor a king, the standard gifts in the first century to honor a God in the first century world. And we know that uh, these men went to see a king. They brought these gifts. And I just want to just very, very briefly, because we're about to celebrate communion, I want to talk to you about gold. Next week, we'll talk about frankincense. And then the week after that, We'll talk about myrrh and why they're so important. But gold is important for three reasons for us today. It's a gift for a king throughout history. Um, if you were going to pay tribute to a king, if you were going to honor a king, you would bring as much gold as you could afford. And so just right off the bat, these magi are telling us this boy, this baby boy we're going to see, he's a king. We're going to honor this king by giving him something of great value, gold. And what's really cool is that this gold paid the bills for Mary and Joseph. Matthew uh, tells us that right after the visit that God said to them, God sent a messenger to say, you got to leave Bethlehem because King Herod is going to send some people down here to kill all the boys that are two years old and younger. So you have to leave. And so Mary and Joseph pack up and they take Jesus and they take him to Egypt, and they live in Egypt for a long time, several years. In Alexandria, they live, and Jesus is kind of brought up there. And Matthew tells us that's because he needed to fulfill the prophecy that God would bring up his son from Egypt, and that's the circumstances that, that God arranged. And one of the things that God did to provide a way was send wise men, magi, with a bucket full of gold so that when they got there, they could live. Can you? How providential is that? Isn't that just like God? Like there's a journey you have to take. There's a calling that I've put on your life and you got to go somewhere and I'm going to provide everything you need. Gold. And what's really cool, and I don't have time to make the obvious connection, but I think you'll see it. <clears throat> gold lined the walls. In Jerusalem, there was a temple that for generations, Jewish people had gone to, to worship Yahweh. And once a year, the high priest of the Jewish religion, would make a sacrifice and enter into a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant was there. Um, it was believed, they were taught that the, the presence of God was in that little building. It was separated by a curtain about that thick. 
and only the high priest could go in there and only on one day a year. And the only reason he would go in there was to make atonement for the sins of people. He would sacrifice a bull and he would sprinkle blood on the altar of the covenant and it would make peace between God and man. And the walls of that little room called the Holy of Holies was lined in gold. The room where God lived. The room where God made peace with man through sacrifice. This same gift of gold given to a boy who would become a king, who would later make peace between God and man by atoning for sin and becoming the sacrifice. Wow. Gold is important. Gold was a gift to a king. And I would just like to to say this to you. I want to close with just a couple thoughts. If there's a king, there is a kingdom. If the scriptures teach there is a king, if the prophecies teach there will be a king, if the Old Testament points to a king, then there must be a kingdom. And if you look at the teachings of Jesus, Jesus spent a lot of time saying things like this. In my kingdom... Here's what's going to happen. In my kingdom, the first will be last. In my kingdom, if you want to be great, you have to be a servant. Jesus spent a lot of time saying things like, in my kingdom, in the future kingdom, in the kingdom to come. If there is a king, there is a kingdom. If there is a king, that king deserves our best. I love these gifts. I don't have enough time to to break this down for you today because there's so much going on. But the gifts that these men brought, these three gifts represented the best of their world. There was nothing greater in their world that they could bring to this king. It was the best of the best of the best. This was not leftovers. This was not, hey, go hunt in the garage for last year's Christmas gift so we can re-gift. This was the greatest thing the world had to offer these three gifts because there was a king that deserved their best. And if there's a king, he deserves our best. And the logical conclusion to me is if there's a king, worship is the only response that makes sense. If this is an eternal king, then worshiping him was the right response from these men looking for an eternal king. They didn't come with any agenda. They didn't try to fit Jesus in any box. There was was no outside agenda other than we want to see our new king and we want to worship this king. If there's a king, there's a kingdom. If there's a king, he deserves our best. And if there's a king, worship is the only response that makes sense. Our king came to die. Earthly kings try to prolong life. Ours came to give his away. Our king came to die in your place. Earthly kings have other people die in their place. Our king came to give his life as a ransom for many, in his words. Earthly kings don't do that. 